Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And it's a crazy week going on right now. I mean, it's a snow week, first of all, so everything's been pushed back. This is a, this is a late week podcast for me. Uh, they play the Cleveland Browns on Sunday night, the Giants do, in a huge game that likely can put them back in first place. We'll get to that in a minute. We have a guest on this show, this week's show. We're going to talk to noted Dave Gettleman critic slash hater, Evan Silva. That's always a fun conversation. We'll talk about a lot of different things, but uh, that Gettleman topic, that'll come up for sure. Where do things stand right now? Giants are 5-8, and eight, right? But still in the NFC East hunt. Have made progress, but how much? I think my voice just cracked there. But uh, we will go on. We trudge on this week through the snow, through the elements, into a huge game. Let's think about it for a second, okay? The Washington football team is likely going to lose. They play a tough Seattle team. Now, I know the Giants beat Seattle. Give Washington a chance. Their defense is good. But, what you know, Seattle, they got right last week. They didn't play well against the Giants. They handed them two turnovers. Uh, they played poorly. The likelihood is, and Washington is a significant underdog in that game with that, with who knows who who playing quarterback for them. Antonio Gibson, their best running back, still out. So offensively, very limited. So the likelihood is Seattle wins that game. So Washington then falls to 6-8. and eight. The Giants then play on Sunday night with a chance to get back in first place against the Browns team. That played well in a shootout, but lost. Now, I think, and I've said this from the start, this is the matchup to me that I think works in the Giants' favor. They could stop the run pretty well. This is a Cleveland team that has been uh, committed to the run. Their offense is built around the run. They hit play action off of it. The Giants are going to keep this close. I really do. And look, we don't know who's playing quarterback for the Giants. Right now, it's Friday morning. I'm taping this segment of the podcast because I wanted to wait as long as possible, because we don't know about Daniel Jones. We don't know about Colt McCoy. And now we know James Bradbury's not playing. We'll get to that in a second. Jason Garrett, he's not coaching. Freddie Kitchens is stepping in as the offensive coordinator. Whoa, what is going on here? Busy, busy week. But as far as I'm aware, at this point, I've been told Daniel Jones is basically a toss-up. Swelling in his ankles down, and he's probably similar to where he was last week, except instead of one injury, now he's nursing two injuries. So can they realistically... Expect him to go into a game, let's say be at 80%, which I think they thought he was last week and then realized he wasn't, be at 80% and hold up. Because that was the problem. Let's say he started last week at 80%, which I don't think most people think he did. But let's say he did. By the middle of the game, once he got that ankle injury, he was probably at 50%, 40%. So, like, I mean, is it realistic? I mean, do, real, do the Giants really want him playing at 60%? Is 60% of Daniel Jones better than 100% of Colt McCoy? I don't think that disparity is probably worth it. 80% I want to see Daniel Jones out there. But we'll see. This is a key couple days. I don't think we're going to know until Saturday afternoon, really, who the Giants' starting quarterback is. So big deal. Uh, No matter who the quarterback is, they're going to have a new play caller, which is an interesting little twist. I'm kind of intrigued by this, to be quite honest with you. There's been a lot of criticism of Jason Garrett, who, let's get, let's, be real here. Jason Garrett tested positive for COVID. First and foremost, let's hope health-wise, he's okay. He worked on Thursday remotely as if it was a normal day. That seems to indicate he's doing fine physically. But we know how serious this could be. So prayers up for Jason Garrett. Come through this all right. Be back in 10 days, hopefully, and uh, move on. But in the meantime, from a football perspective, Freddie Kitchens. We got a Freddie Kitchens revenge game. That's right. Freddie Kitchens, less than 11 months removed from being fired by the Cleveland Browns, is now going to be the Giants play caller against the Browns on a Sunday night in front of the entire nation. I'm intrigued. Been a lot of criticism about Jason Garrett. He's a little vanilla. I kind of agree with that, that he's vanilla. But let's see what happens when they change play callers now. Does the offense automatically look better now? Does, are they able to make more plays in the passing game? Is, is Freddie Kitchens going to be... Uh, open it up a little bit more, let them throw the ball down the field. Now, I don't think there's going to be a huge change. Joe Judge is you know, going to give a directive before the game, and probably it's, uh, for the most part, he said this the other day, keep it in line you know, with, with, with what an extension of Jason Garrett was doing. You, you know, Freddie Garrett's a one-week fill-in here. Freddie Garrett, I just called him. Freddie Kitchens is a one-week fill-in here. 
you don't want to change everything drastically. That's not fair to the guys in the huddle on the field. But it'll be interesting to see in-game when he's making decisions. Because, look, the way play calling works, it's not like he calls a play and then there's time for Joe Judge to overrule it in the middle and, and, and everything be changing back and forth. It doesn't work that way. Things move fast. The play caller has a lot, a lot of power, a lot of influence on the game. So let's see how Freddie Kitchens does. I'm very intrigued. He did pretty well, remember, when the Browns made him the offensive coordinator in Baker Mayfield's rookie season. I believe 19 of his 27 touchdowns, Baker Mayfield, came in those final eight games with Freddie as the offensive coordinator. And let it be known that the Browns went 5-3 and three during that time. So very interested to see how that works. Also, let's not forget, they're playing the Cleveland Browns, the Giants. This was supposed to, and it should be, the Odell Beckham revenge game. I mean, he had this circled on his calendar. You know he did. You know this kills him. He's going to have to be sitting at home, just like it does Saquon Barkley. Two of them are sitting at home watching as their teams play key games on a Sunday night football game, week 15 of the season. And Odell, trust me, he wanted to show the Giants that they screwed this up, that they should have never traded him. But I went over this. You can find the article on ESPN.com this week. The reality is, and this is a results-based analysis right now, and I know the Giants' offense isn't good, and Golden Tate has been a bad signing afterwards to fill his spot, but Odell Beckham Jr. has been injured these two seasons. He played last year, but he ended up needed, uh, you know, core muscle surgery. This year, he tore his knee. So the way it turned out is the Cleveland Browns haven't gotten the player that they thought they were going to get. They haven't. And even when he's been on the field, him and Baker Mayfield haven't exactly uh, meshed perfectly. But putting that aside for a second, because I spoke to a personnel evaluator who said he studied Odell not too long ago, the last year, and he still thought athletically he was one of the best. He was the best receiver in the league, basically. But now you have to wonder: is there, is he ever really going to come back and be that same player we once saw? It's probably not. The answer is probably not. And the Giants got two younger players, cost-controlled players in return. At least, I mean, three, but I'm not counting with Shane Zimenez because, let's be honest, he's not a huge portion of this deal. It's basically Dexter Lawrence and Jabril Peppers for Odell Beckham at this point. And the way it's turned out, the Giants, at this point, have gotten the better of the deal. Now, I know their offense thinks they still need a number one receiver. True. But if we're just judging the trade, it doesn't. you're not accounting for the fact that they then coupled that with a bad move for Golden Tate, which hasn't worked out for a variety of reasons. He got popped for performance-enhancing substance. Uh, he's lost a step, he's aging, he was old, you get paid, overpaid him anyway. That's another separate move. That move gets a D. The Odell Beckham trade right now gets probably a B. There's varying degrees of evaluation of Dexter Lawrence, but uh, regardless, I think he's a, a good player. Some people think he's very good. Top, you know, a top-end defense alignment. The, the personnel evaluator I spoke to was very high on him. So that's what it depends on. Now, the WTF this week is, and I was thinking about this the other day, we're still, we're sitting here in week 15, and we're still wondering, and this was really the biggest question the Giants had entering the season. We were wondering, Daniel Jones is going to take that next step. We want, we want to be certain after this year he's the franchise quarterback that can win Super Bowls with this guy. I'm not at that point right now in week 15. I'm still at the same point I was in week one. I think he's a starter. I don't know if he's a high-end starter. I don't know if he's a top 10 or 15 quarterback. He's more like a 15 or 20 quarterback right now. Is that good enough? Eh. Like I always say, the worst thing is you end up with an average quarterback. And 10 years later, you're looking in the mirror. And what do you see? See the Red Rockies. See Andy Dalton and you're the, you're the Cincinnati Bengals. And what was I doing for the last 10 years here? The answer is really nothing. And right now, I'm kind of there in, with, that, in, with Daniel Jones. Like, I see enough good where I'm hoping he could develop into that quarterback, but I'm still not sure. I don't know. There's too many things that still bother me. Put the ball on the ground three times the other day. Wasn't able to be effective at all in the pocket. If you're looking at it and you say his best skill is as a runner, is that a good thing? He's not a guy who can live out of the pocket without the threat of him running? I don't know. Has me concerned at this point. Has me concerned. But let's get to our guest. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. 
Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. All right. We have my man, Establish the Run co-founder, Dave Gettleman Hater, uh, all around NFL savant, Evan Silva, live with us at the moment. Evan, welcome to the show, my friend. Jordan, what's up, man? I actually just bought, well, I purchased it two weeks ago when the Giants were in first place in the NFC East, and in Gettleman We Trust shirt. Um, but that that shirt is now looking, uh, you know, I mean, it's a week to week league, and it's not looking as valuable uh, anymore after the twenty six to seven blowout loss to Arizona. I, I bought it when the Giants were on top, and now the the Washington football team is on top. Well, I mean, it only makes sense. You should be like on board with Dave Gettleman. I mean, he, I mean, established the run. I mean, that's like he's right, right in that. That's his wheelhouse right there. I mean, exactly. Made, we we, we certainly share a kinship. Like yeah, in our in our ID, our football ideologies. Yeah, I actually always say all the time, it's like uh, we me like I don't dislike Dave Gettleman like all his moves, but like football philosophically, mm-hmm. like in twenty twenty, like me and him are diametrically opposed on like how to build a team and like mm-hmm. you know his beliefs and mine. It, it's really like stark how far apart we are on, on beliefs of, of like. Uh, you know, fo- football at this point. So, right. He did take the quarterback early, uh, but he did, he did, but he did take the running back the year first though. That's true. <laughs> so, um, does that count? I mean, right. it, does it, it almost negates it, doesn't it? I don't know. It, yeah, it, and, let's, and, get to, let's get to Gettleman in a bit. Okay. Okay. We have some more pressing matters to talk about. First of all, if you're not reading Evan's matchup column on a weekly basis, and this has been for years. You're missing out. You're ruining your chances of knowing more about football and being able to win in fantasy and DFS. I'll say that right now. So with that being said, I'm a big process guy. I need to know what's the process that Evan Silva goes through to create that matchup column every week. Uh, it's just a lot of, a lot of uh, game pass, a lot of, you know, watching the games on Sunday and, you know, trying to bang out as many as I possibly can. And then finishing up on Monday with the, the game pass to get all caught up Monday and Tuesday. So Monday um, and Tuesday, you go through all the game pass. You're going, how many, yeah. how many games are we talking about here? How many games are we watching? Are you talking about, and I don't know if people understand this, but game pass basically has the, you know, an all 22 version, the broadcast mm-hmm. version and a condensed version. Which one are you watching? No, I, I have to watch the condensed. I mean, I, I, the, I cannot watch the, the all 22, you know, full three-hour games. But I um, thought maybe you would pick one game where you really wanted to see something. Maybe you would dip into the all 20. I don't know. That's why I'm asking. I have I in the past, in, uh, it, uh, during off-seasons, gone back and looked at games on the all 22. But, no, I, I have to use the, the condensed. And then it's just... Uh, just, as, know, just as a, a, a like a a guideline here when I watched the all 22 and I, this mm. is to your point when I watched you all 22 for the giants, I mean, just watching one game, all 22 and really making sure you see everything. You're talking about like a two or three hour process right there. This is a big commitment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but you know, down the stretch when there are no teams on by and I got to write up 16 games, you know, 32 teams, I got to pay attention to everybody who's you know injured and now on the COVID list, you know, um, then it's it's harder to get to every single game, um, so you know don't have to watch as as many Jets games uh, down the stretch, which uh, that that never hurt anybody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean the Jets are. Yeah, I, I love your Adam Gase takes. By the way, he's just an idiot. I think is is uh, I'm, if I'm if I'm quoting you correctly. Well, he's uh, he's a jerk. I, I a think jerk. He, I'm sorry, idiot. Jerk. Wrong word. Yeah. Jerk. I mean, because not only is he a bad coach, but he's also <laughs> like an asshole. 
<laughs> and that's the worst combination. You know, you're, you're bad at your job and you're a jerk about it. Like at least Rich Kotite was a bad coach and he was like renowned as like a really nice guy. You know, but Adam Gase is a jerk and a bad coach. <laughs> and that, that's the, the worst of the worst. Uh, that's, I, you know what? I'm not going to argue with that. That's really in-depth football talk right there. Uh, let's go on to a coach who's good. And we'll talk, we're talking specifically here, not, not, not about Joe Judge, but about the Giants' defense and Patrick Graham because they've done some good things. And, you know, we've had some conversations, and I was a little skeptical for sure a couple weeks ago heading into that Seattle game. Like, hey, they've been playing backup quarterbacks. I told you this might not go so well. You were more sold. You're high on this Giants' defense. What do you like about them? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when we had that discussion – Everything that you said was true. They had played like a six-week string of, you know, really weak quarterbacks, and then they, they proved their mettle against Seattle. Um, what do I like? I mean, I, I, first of all, I like his background. He's not, you know, necessarily one of these Bill Belichick uh, disciples like Eric Mangini or Matt Patricia, you know, who goes to a different team and, like, tries to be Bill You're Belichick. about Judge now, right? Not Graham? No, I'm, I'm talking about Patrick Graham. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, Patrick Graham, I, I think he's more of, like on the, the Brian Flores side of the, of the Bill Belichick tree. And uh, Patrick Graham, I, I mean, I, he's just, he's, you know, when you see a guy who's like maximizing the talent of the players that he has, the max, maximizing the talent of the personnel, because the personnel is not great on the Giants defense. But they have been really stingy in terms of points allowed. Uh, they've allowed what, about uh, 22, I think 22.4 per game on the yeah. year. And if you go like the last eight games, it's even lower. Right. And over the course of the season, 13-game sample now, they've given up more than 26 just twice, and those were both earlier in, uh, in, in the year. Um, Dallas and – I can't know. remember off it was the top definitely, of my head. It was definitely Dallas. Uh, that was a 30 – both teams but, but two games out of 13. And San and, Francisco, and it, actually. They got rolled by San Francisco. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Uh, but two games out of 13, and you're holding everybody else to 26 or fewer, I mean, that's going to keep you in a lot of games, and that's why they're still in the NFC East hunt. I mean, that's clearly the defense is, you know, by far the biggest reason that they are, you know, no a competitive football team because they're averaging, what, 18 a game uh, in terms of scoring, and they have they have a bad point differential. Second I mean, they're, worst in the league, that 18, by the way. I mean, only the Jets have scored fewer points in this team, right? It's, yeah. Which is a staggering number, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they have a minus 53 point differential. Uh, so they're, they're not, you know, a very good team, obviously. But they are a competitive team, generally speaking, week in and week out. And that's because of their defense. And it's not necessarily because of the talent of their defense. It's because... They don't make a lot of mistakes. You know, they play a, a stingy zone defense. Their mm -hmm. pass rush is, I think, above league average. You know, it's not great. Which but is it, amazing because name right. me an edge rusher on that roster right now. Right. I right. mean, name me an edge rusher. Jabal Sheard is their number one edge rusher. I mean, that is, like, yeah. laughable. Yeah, who I don't even think Jabal Sheard was on an NFL roster. Uh, no, he wasn't. Yeah. Until as, of, as of, like, six, eight weeks ago. Yeah. He, he was literally – taken off the trash heap so I, I and I would attribute that largely to coaching um and you know just you know not making mistakes and I, I think that you can attribute that largely to coaching yeah no I'm, I'm 100% on board with that it, they, they've done an unbelievable job it's almost like they're able to create pressure or at least the perception that there's pressure even when there's not really pressure and that's like one of the keys and they just keep every I mean they kept Russell Wilson Tom Brady just completely off balance and to me that was it's largely on coaching but a big part of that has been James Bradbury and we got the news we're taping this on Thursday mm -hmm. night so we got the news this afternoon James Bradbury is now on the reserve COVID list right so the Giants are now gonna have to go into this game without their top cornerback they really don't even have enough cornerbacks right now. It's, it's a dire situation. How badly does that hurt their team against somebody like the Browns, who, to be quite honest, they like their top receiver is Jarvis Landry, but he plays out of the slot a lot, right? Yes. So um, how much does losing Bradbury hurt against a team like the Browns this week? Well, I think that, first of all, it, it, it doesn't hurt 
against the Browns as much as if they were playing like the Titans, you know, where they, they would be facing like A.J. Brown or, you know, a team with a clear cut number one receiver. Uh, but I do think it, it hurts because as you kind of alluded to on Twitter today, you know, the drop off to the rest of the cornerback unit is so, so stark. They, they, they just they don't have a lot of a lot of good players left at the cornerback position. And Rashard Higgins has been playing at a pretty high level for Cleveland. That's probably the guy that James Bradbury would have matched up the, uh, the most with because Jarvis Landry plays so much uh, in the slot. The Browns have also gotten uh, big plays out of this rookie Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, he played at Michigan. He's like an incredible athlete. Um, and I mean, he's made plays on special teams and recently uh, as a receiver. Um, so I, I do think it hurts, but not – not against the Browns necessarily as much as it might against a team with a true number one. Yeah. If you stop the Browns running game, which the Giants, they're seventh in the NFL in run defense. They're, they're stout up front. Like that's the strength of the defense talent wise. They have a good defensive line, three really good defensive linemen. If they, if they're able to stop the run is Baker made, does that just make, how much does that make Baker Mayfield just, you know, almost useless? Well, a couple of weeks ago, the Browns came out firing in the passing game against Tennessee uh, in a game that it seemed like they were set up to just do what they usually do, which is run the heck out of the football. T- Tennessee doesn't have a great run defense. And so it seemed natural that they would come out with, you know, a lot of Nick Chubb and a lot of Kareem Hunt, but they came out throwing the football off play action. Uh, and Kevin Stefanski just coached up a, a marvelous game. Baker Mayfield had maybe the best performance of his career. That was the game where he had four touchdowns in the first yeah, half, and he yeah. should have had five, uh, except um, – They put up, what, close to 40 in that first half or something? Yeah, and uh, he, he should have had five, except Donovan Peoples-Jones dropped a walk, walk-in touchdown on their first drive, or else Baker Mayfield would have had five touchdowns in the first half. Um, so we could see a game plan like that from Cleveland – but, you know, their running game has been largely matchup proof. I mean, they've been able to run the ball successfully against some really good defensive fronts. And the Giants qualify as a really good defensive front. So this is going to be a really, really tall task for the Giants, you know, regardless of the game plan from the Browns. Um, and, you know, and this is a game like that they need because they, they didn't get that game against Arizona where I, I thought they were in pretty good position. They were, you know, theoretically, they were, they were getting Daniel Jones back, Arizona, you know, all the way across the country at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, but they laid an absolute egg. Daniel Jones clearly was not healthy, suffered, you know, the, the additional injury to his ankle. And that was just a disastrous loss. I mean, they, you know, with, with the Browns and the Ravens coming up, they're going to need to steal one of these for sure. Yeah, that which is not an easy task. I mean, for sure, these are two pretty good teams, the Browns and the Ravens. What do you think? And you, you've seen, you've watched a lot. You've watched him more than I have in the last few years, for sure. Freddie Kitchens, he's going to be stepping in. Jason Garrett has COVID as well. So now, let's you know, prayers to Jason Garrett. Let's serious, serious for a second. Let's hope he's you know well and comes out of this all, all mm-hmm. healthy and good. But from a football perspective. Now, Freddie Kitchens is the one calling place. Now, they're, they're not going to stray too much from what they do because, look, he's a fill-in. It's a last-minute thing. But what, what is your opinion of Freddie Kitchens' play calling? This is kind of a complicated question, so, uh, but I'll, I'll do my best to answer it. So in 2018, down the stretch, after Hugh Jackson was fired, Freddie Kitchens took over as the Browns' play caller, and the Browns' offense like took off. Um, and Baker Mayfield wound up leading or setting setting the record for most uh, touchdown passes by a rookie quarterback. But then after the season, it became apparent that uh, Ken Zampezi, the, the son of uh, former longtime cor- uh, Cowboys offensive coordinator, uh, Ken, uh, Ernie. Ernie Zampezi, Ken Zampezi was actually the guy behind the offense. And it wasn't Freddie Kitchens, but Freddie Kitchens got, but uh, Ken Zampezi's, Ken Zampezi got pushed out. Freddie Kitchens, because he was boys with John Dorsey, who at the time was the Browns GM, he got promoted to head coach. And he just, I mean, he wasn't, you know, cut out to be an NFL head coach. I think he's like a good guy. He was easy to root for at the time. And, um, you know, he's got like a really interesting backstory. If you like YouTube, uh, uh, Freddie Kitchens, like, you know, he's an easy dude to, to root for, but he just – I mean, he was, he was a, an abomination as a head coach. And as they lost Ken Zampezi, it also became clear that 
the Browns' offense uh, was not orchestrated uh, smartly or efficiently by uh, uh, by Freddie Kitchens. Number one, they uh, backed off of play action, which is like Baker Mayfield is such a good play action passer. He's excellent on play action fakes, uh, but they backed away. They just backed away from like all the things that they did well. Um, and uh, they, they didn't run two tight end sets as much. And the Browns had been really, really good out of two tight end formations. Um, and they tried to play like a, a sort of pseudo spread offense. They ran a bunch of empty backfield formation. And Baker Mayfield is at his so best. Basically get like, everything opposite yeah. of what they're doing right now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's the big concern with Freddie Kitchens. Now his duties have obviously been vastly reduced. Uh, with the Giants, and maybe he will help design an effective game plan and execute it on the field. I just, you know, they're they're there's just they're just really limited offensively. With Daniel Jones clearly far short of 100 percent, or Colt McCoy, you know, career backup on his like seventh NFL team, you know, at, at the quarterback position. Well, that brings you to the question: Colt McCoy at 70 percent, or Daniel? I mean, sorry, Daniel Jones at 70 percent, or Colt McCoy at 100 percent? I think it's got to be Colt McCoy, actually. Really? Yeah. I mean, that, that's not speaking too highly of Daniel Jones. In the well, first I think you, I if mean, you pull away Daniel, Daniel Jones has a few really good characteristics, and one of them is his ability to move. That's maybe his best characteristic right now. He's got a pretty strong arm, but he's also a really good athlete. Yeah. I think that's probably his best characteristic right now. And if we're pulling that away because he's got, what, injuries on both of his legs at this point. Mm-hmm. I think he becomes incredibly uh well, I find that troubling ineffective. though. Because what? I mean, if his best skill is running, I mean we're not even talking about throwing on the run because he's not that's he's not even great at throwing on the run. We're talking about strictly running and the threat of the run. If that's his best skill, yeah. Like what how does that bode long well for the Giants long term with Daniel Jones? It doesn't bode well. It doesn't. I, no. I, I know. That's why I said it. it's scary. So to me, I mean, this this actually, these past two weeks actually have kind of raised my eyebrows to him like, oh my God, we're sitting here in week 15 and the number one question for the Giants this season, probably the most important thing for this organization was to learn that Daniel Jones would be, you know, solidified 100% their future franchise quarterback. You'd be confident that he's going to be the dude going forward. And I don't, I'm not there. Are you there? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Where are you? Where are you on Daniel Jones? I mean, I mean, I, I'm definitely one of, you know, the many that was skeptical of him coming out of Duke, but then, you know, definitely warmed to him in that awesome preseason and the way that he played, like he was a, a peaks and valleys player as a rookie, which I, I'm fine with. You know, I think that there that's were enough fine. flashes, I think, to make you right, optimistic. Right. And right. he had he had high highs. And yeah. that's what I want to see, that he could play at an elite level. And I thought that he did that in a few games as a rookie. But then Washington, it's just been... in Tampa, yeah. There was a couple yeah. others in there, yeah, even though they lost, but for sure. It's been, but it's been, you know, a big step back in his second year, and you, you never want to see that. Yeah, you know, he, I mean, eight touchdown passes in, what are we, mm-hmm. 12 starts? I mean, that's hard to do in today's NFL. I mean, I know it's partially... You know, touchdown passes are also a product of your team and system and everything. But still, mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's hard to do. I mean, we're talking about let's say he starts 15 games here. He's on pace for like 12 touchdowns. I mean, that's I, I know you guys were optimistic on him coming to the season. I don't think you mm-hmm. could have imagined any scenario where he was 12 touchdowns and 15 starts. Right. We And we were optimistic about him. We were concerned about, uh, you know, the the coordinator change. In, 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 in an off season where nothing really happened, you know, um, and that I, he's obviously been set back. I mean, for the most part, you know, they're with the exception of, you know, some injuries to Sterling Shepard and, you know, some Knicks and, you know, here and there to other guys. I mean, they've been pretty healthy Aside from on, Saquon, of on offense, except for Saquon. Um, you know, I mean, everybody, every team has tons and tons of injuries, but right, I mean, they, right. They'd probably be mid- middle of the pack or or higher in terms of a health of their of their offense, and they just have not taken a, a you know a, a step forward in Jason Garrett's first year. Yeah, I think that's that's a thousand percent fair. So you look at the NFCs at this point. How sold are you 
on Washington. The football team, as they call them. Well, first of all, none of these teams are good. <laughs> Washington Let's get has, that out of the way first. Yeah. They all stink. Got right. It. They, they, they yes. really all do. True. Um, you know, Washington has to win in a certain way, which is fragile in the NFL because they can't score points. Well, it's similar to what the Giants are doing. It's almost exactly like what the Giants are doing, except Washington has a much more talented defense. Agreed. You know, the Giants theoretically have more upside offensively, uh, but the, the, the Washington has a a ferocious defense. Um, maybe, I mean, Brian Baldinger was, uh, talking about, he thought that Washington might have the best defense in the league right now. Yeah. I mean, Uh, they're, they've, they've been ranked at least in the past defense too, specifically, I mean, near the top of the league the entire year. I mean, mm -hmm. their, their defense is sneaky, legit. Oh yeah, definitely. And then Philadelphia kind of has new life now. I mean, Philadelphia doesn't have a bad defense. It's not, it's not great, but it's not, you know, terrible. And then, they kind of have new life with Jalen Hurts. Uh, Carson Wentz was just, I mean, he was playing, I mean, he was like a bottom five quarterback before he got benched. And I think now in hindsight, we can look at the Eagles and be like, well, you know, clearly, you know, after how well they, they performed, they had an upset win against one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, and we can look at them in hindsight, be like, clearly Carson Wentz was the biggest problem with that team. Uh, but I mean, they, I think they have new life with this, you know, uh, new offense yeah, and then, you know, uh, Dallas, it, it's been over for Dallas for a while. I mean, I, I'd still believe that the, the Eagles is a little bit like that was, a, that game was an outlier. That was just a fraudulent game. Like you, Could that be. New Orleans team doesn't give up rushing yards like that. The Eagles offensive line can't play at that level. Of, it's not sustainable, you know, that, to me. So I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm not, I'm not a believer in them at this point. But they do finish up with three winnable games. Um, they go to Arizona this week. I, I mean, I think the Cardinals are going to win, but I think the Eagles could win that game. And then the Eagles go to Dallas, and that should be a win for the Eagles. And then the Eagles go home and face Washington, who, I mean, that's definitely not an easy win, but it's a winnable game. So there is a scenario where the Eagles win out. I mean, they, I think they I mean, have an easier road than the Giants. That would just be wild. I mean, if it's the Eagles won the division, I mean, after all they've been through, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that just actually explains the NFC East this year in general. So, so let's get to the topic everyone really wants to hear. Your thoughts now as we sit here, what are we? I'm taping this on a Thursday night, December 17th. It's probably a little more than a year after we had this discussion last year. Mm-hmm. Dave Gettleman, any higher on him at this point? Any hope that? You know, he's building a good team. Well, I, I think that – I think he – I think it's likely that he got the quarterback wrong. <laughs> which is – which is, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a killer right there. Right. Like that's – years, right? Yeah. I mean, where, they, where do you go from there? Right. And I, I mean, I, you know, when Danny Dimes has, you know, played like Danny Dimes and played at his peak, I mean, he's like a legit fun dude to watch. And – I think he's like easy to root for. He he seems like, you know, a really nice guy. He's kind of got that like, um, you know, kind of like vanilla funny uh, about him. Um, And he can run and, and, you know, at his peak, like when he's aggressive throwing the ball downfield, he's a legit fun player to watch. So I I hope that my present evaluation of him is wrong. And then he does turn the corner. But I think at this moment, I, I, I would be pessimistic and, you know, at, like Dave Gettleman has had some good moves. He's had some terrible moves, but at the end of the day, you know, and I think we even said this last year, like it's going to come down to the quarterback. And as we sit here on December 17th, 2020, it looks like he missed. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm so in the middle on Daniel Jones. Like, I don't want to say, I, I, I think he's miss. I don't want to say he's a success. I'm, I'm like, I'm still where I was after his rookie year. Which I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I should. You, got, you have to be further along, but we're not. But I don't know. It, the problem is they're competitive in December. They've shown improvement, mm-hmm. and his free agent acquisitions this offseason were pretty good. You just get the feeling after hearing what the Giants' ownership said at the beginning of the year that they want, they're going to want to be competitive in December late in the year. I mean, they kind of – I mean, I know it's fake because, mm-hmm. like you said, you don't think any of these teams are good, but – they're competitive and better. So 
I feel like they're going to make that argument to say, hey, let's mm-hmm. just keep it rolling. We're going in the right direction. And, and, and I think that you are going to come out, even if they, let's say they go one and two to finish out and so they don't and win 10. the division, you know, I think that you're going to come out of 2020 feeling like you, like there was a, at least a decent, you know, that a decent possibility that you hit on the coaching staff hires that yeah. Joe Judge has, you know, I, I think done a pretty good job and Patrick Graham absolutely has done a pretty good job. And I don't, although Patrick Graham may receive some head coaching consideration elsewhere, my guess is that he probably won't get that until 2022. Um, so you, you can sell that also to ownership. Um, and, you know, you, and you can sell that, you know, Daniel Jones got injured, uh, you know, to ownership. And I, my, my guess, and you obviously would, would know much better than me, but my guess is that Gettleman is going to get another year. Yeah, I mean, if I had a bet on that right now, right now, I would I would bet that way as well. I mean, I just like I just said. I mean, the, the argument is easily made for the Giants ownership to sit there and say, "Hey, you know what? We made six, we, we made some strides this year. We're heading in the right direction. We played meaningful December games." So, mm-hmm. I mean, that that just it's set up for them to have that there, even though you know they're only playing meaningful December games because the division is just basically historically bad, but. It is what it is. So, and, and and they will also be able to sell. Hey, you know, we lost Saquon early on, right. and also, you know, after we moved on from Colombo, you know, the offensive line, you know, like got a lot better. Well, so we'll see. We'll see how yeah, that. I goes. mean, there, last week was just, a step you know, back. So we'll at see. the end of the season, like Gettleman is going to, you know, he's he's going to have to report to ownership and and lay out all these reasons, you know, all these good things, and I mean, he's going to have a decent list. I mean, it's not. Yeah. But that Daniel Jones one is huge. He's got to finish well here. If he finishes and plays like he did last week, most of the next three weeks, there's going to be a, a sour taste in this organization, I think, left over. So that's the huge factor moving forward. Yeah, and, you know, but ownership also, like, loves, you know, Eli, and Eli's so tight with Daniel Jones. And I think it's going to be easy to sell, hey, we got to give this guy one more year. We got to, you know, we got to bring, we got to run it back. We got to bring For back. Sure. And we I don't disagree back- with that either, by the way. Mm-hmm. I don't not that I disagree with that, but I'm it's just it's just wishy washy. You want you would have liked to had that answer at this point. So For sure. anyway, I got a bone to pick with you. Okay. So Evan runs established the run with my buddy Adam Levitan. You know, you guys both former Roto World guys and friends of mine. And I thought I thought we were tight. I, I really did. I thought we were really tight. But somewhere along the line, I think something went sour. Because Evan found a new favorite beat writer, it appears, in Nick Underhill, who covers the Saints. I, I think he's even said it on their podcast before. You know, he basically called him his favorite beat writer, which left me a little self-conscious here, Evan. You know, you know this. So I'm hurt. I'm hurt. Like, you know, I know you Nick are. Underhill has surpassed me. No, 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 no. It's that that's, you know, it's first of all, is Nick Underhill like did something that very few beat writers have done. I think maybe Paul Kuharski might be the only other one who was like, just, he left, you know, like a a big company left the athletic, took a chance on himself, started his own business covering the saints. You know, you've got to live on subscriptions, which pisses a lot of people off, you know? (laughs) And so, and I mean, I, I essentially did the same thing, uh, leaving NBC and going to start established to run with, uh, Adam. And so, you know, I just, I wanted to see Nick succeed and, um, because I, I, you know, I, I, so I, you this, threw I, I me, love small businesses. So you I love entrepreneurship. So you threw me in the dumpster to make it happen. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I was really rooting for Nick and, you know, we, and we talked a lot about, you know, things that he could strategies that he could do. And he, he's had a, an unbelievable year and, uh, we, you know, we became friends, uh, you know, over the course of, you know, uh, during that process. Um, so I, I was just rooting for Nick. I'm, I'm joking when, when I say that, you know, Nick, Nick's my, my, my favorite beat writer. You, nah, nah, I, you know, you, nah. you got, you guys are, don't believe it. You got, you guys are one a and one B, I guess. Oh, and really? You one really? B. Well, we're going to put you to the test here. <laughs> All right. You're going to, so you got to go Underhill or Ronan. Okay. Ready. And and you got to be honest. I could take it. I'm a big boy. Okay. I could take it. If, you, if Underhill's, you know, your favorite B writer, and he's better than me. You say Underhill. 
Don't 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 kiss my rear side here. Okay. All right. Okay. Better looking, Underhill or Ronan? I'm gonna give that to to Ronan. Um, yes. Ronan's a, a a stud. You know, looks like uh, Sebastian, uh, a younger version of oh, Sebastian yes. uh, Maniscalco. <laughs> Get um, that a lot, by the way. Yeah, just yeah. I, I'll I'll give that to you. All right. Better sources, Underhill or Ronan? I. I think that you guys are both very good. All right, that's BS. I mean, the second you saw you, I'm, I'm giving that. That's Underhill. Check. No, it's not. Got to check. So it's yeah, not. Underhill. I, right. I would say I'm going to be honest here. I would say it if I thought it was Underhill. I, I, I don't. I think it's even. <laughs> Better overall information then. I mean, <laughs> that's the same question that you just asked. It is, but okay, another check for Underhill. More <laughs> likely to drink and chug champagne with you at the combine. Is it oh, Underhill God. or is it Rana? That is. You in a landslide. <laughs> Check to me. All right. <laughs> More likely to go to a gentleman's club with you and Levitan. Is it Underhill or is it Ronan? These questions are just like yeah. skier, so skier, making sure that you're going to win. <laughs> uh, you, obviously. <laughs> of course. There we go. So that's three for Ronan, two for Underhill. Okay. So who's your number one? Who's the who's the fan of the show? Number one beat writer, fan of the show for established the run, Ronan or Underhill? I mean, I think it's been decided. It has. I mean, it's there's nothing decided. you can say. At where this is analytics at its best. <laughs> analytics. <laughs> all right. Now, you uh, you guys are followers of all beat writers, right? All mm-hmm. right, so take me and Underhill out of this because we're obviously one and two on your okay. list, okay? You and Levitan. I want to know. Give me a ranking of top three beat writers or the people that are in that in that running for top three beat writers around the country. Um, this is a tough one. I've been thinking about maybe doing a, a – at Roto World, actually, Greg Rosenthal uh, a couple years did – an actual ranking of beat writers. But then like we started to become like friends with the beat writers and you don't want to like hurt people's feelings and stuff. (laughs) So Um, you mean like putting them like in the bot, the guys that you put at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that Jeff Zrebeck uh, who covers the Ravens for the athletic is just outstanding. Um, I think that, um, let's see, I'm, I'm just, I just pulled up a list of teams. Mike Mike Reese. It's oh, hard for me to yeah. believe that well, Mike Reese is not near the top of the list. My number one beat writer in the country, Mike Reese. Obviously, a first tier beat writer. I mean, he he he's probably number he's probably number one. Yeah, yeah, he's dynamite. He is I mean, for yeah. what he does and, and how he does it. Um, I think that Jenna Lane does a good job for uh, Tampa uh, covering the Buccaneers. Um, I think that Bob Condotta does a really good job covering. The Seahawks, the 49ers have two stud beat writers in Matt Barrows and Matt Mayako. Um, the Eagles have like 100 beat writers, but, uh, <laughs> but Jeff McLean is really good for them. And, and Kemsky, Kemsky's my boy. Kemsky, you, you, you Kemsky and Underhill are probably my, my three like actual favorite. Well, Kemsky's up there on the list of people that were most likely to chug, to chug champagne with you, by the way. <laughs> I, I guarantee. Trust me. I might have chugged champagne with Kemsky in the past before. <laughs> It might not have been champagne. I think we, we went to like some hole in the wall in Long Beach Island and we ate like roast beef sandwiches and drank beers at some like hole in the wall that's like famous for their roast beef sandwiches. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Kemsky's, Kemsky's a good dude. That's a good list. Now, one, I, I, sh- I should make you rank Giants beat writers, but I don't want to hurt feelings here either. But, mm-hmm. you know, but put, putting some of, them at, some, some of them near the bottom. So I'll, I'll, save, you, I'll save you the, uh, the pain of that one. But Evan Silva, the best in the business, uh, established the run. My buddy, Adam Levitan, check it out. Uh, we always appreciate you stopping by, and we, we have to do this again soon. Uh, I'll think of some new questions for, for me and Underhill, and, and I'll, I'll get back to you, all right? <laughs> Excellent. Thanks so much, man, for having me on. You got it, man. Thank you. Evan Silva, on to the next one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. 
Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Always love talking to my boy, Evan Silva, even though I may not be his favorite anymore. Still one of the best football minds out there. I mean, he puts in that work. And if you don't read his weekly matchups column, you're missing out. You really are. I mean, I, every year, I, I'm that matchups column uh, Evan and my boy Adam Levitan over at Established to Run, always checking their their you know rankings, uh, and I always dra- draft a great team. I should I, I don't always end up finishing with a good team because I get busy during the season, but I end up drafting a great team, and you you will too if you follow those guys and go look at their site. So thanks to Evan, I'm gonna give you a little Jordan on a beat here. The Giants just played the Arizona Cardinals this past week, and it reminded me of a story. You want to know what it's really like to be a, a you know a reporter a writer, uh, you know, work for ESPN and cover the Giants. Here it is. Ready? Justin Pugh. Great dude. There was a story written by our my ESPN uh, colleague, Josh Weinfuss, about Justin Pugh and how he, you know, needed a life coach uh, because things were wearing on him, the pressure of, of being successful and uh, of, you know, taking care of his friends that were always around. And, and you know, these are the really the pull on a professional athlete that's constantly there. So it's a really, really good story. But it reminded me, and I probably contributed to some of those concerns of Justin Pugh. All right, so one day, I have a good relationship with Justin Pugh. He's, at the time, I might even be living in Philly. He's from Philly, you know, the area. You know, we had, we've had a, lot of, we had a lot of conversations. Good dude, really good dude. As good, a, as good a guy as you could meet in the locker room. So he, you know, he's talking to the media. He's the best with the media. You know, he go to him. He's the go-to quote. And he, he says, you know, um, he's from the Philly area. I hate Philly. I, you know, I hate, I hate the Eagles, really. But the words he used were, I hate Philly. And so he talks about how even though he's from there, you know, he used to he might have been grown up a, a, an Eagles fan. He's been with the Giants for several years now. You know, he, he learned to hate that team. But the quote was, I hate Philly. So I write the story, basically, how he hates the Eagles. With the quote in there, you know, I hate Philly. You know, by the time I drive home, it's posted on the website. And the headline is, Justin Pugh, I hate Philly. So all his friends and, and family, everyone's texting him like, what the heck, yo, you're a traitor, da-da-da. He is pissed. He is mad at me. So mad at me. I had my, I called my editors real quick, had to change the headline because I was like, yo, that's not what I wrote. I know that's the actual quote, but if you read it, that's not the context. Didn't matter. Too late. Done, damage done, right? So Justin Pugh is now furious at me. He probably, I probably couldn't talk to him about for like a year. If I see him right now, he'll still bring that up. Now, we're fine now, you know, years later. But it took probably about a year. I was I was unable to go to Justin Pugh, who was the go-to guy in the locker room for about a year because of that. And, I, you know, like I said, I was like, yo, there's nothing I could do. I mean, my editor put it up. It was, it's not my fault. Like, what do you want me to do? And he's like, well, you know, tough ass. You know, you have to pay the price for your editor. And I was like, yeah, you know, I get it. That's fine. It's, it's true. And so it really goes to show you. And, you know, slowly but surely worked our relationship back. I don't, I don't think he'll ever fully trust me at this point. But, uh, you know, we're amicable, friendly enough. Uh, you know, if we had to work together, it wouldn't be a problem. Uh, and I feel bad about it still to this day. And I know. He still deep down holds it against me a little bit. And that's fine. But these are the kind of things you just have to take as a writer. I mean, there's nothing I could do about that. They put they put that in the headline. I didn't write the headline. It doesn't matter. My name was on it. I'm the one who interacts with him. Now, a good editor always tells you, oh, yeah, you blame it on me, which I did. Of course, I blamed it on my editor. But that doesn't always work. Does It doesn't always count. 
And, you know, this is how you have to juggle relationships. You have to maintain relationships. And I feel bad about it. And I didn't mean to do it for it to happen, but it happened. And so the result was I couldn't talk to Justin Pugh, basically. I couldn't go and ask him questions, ask him stuff maybe, you know, off the record or just background information. That wasn't even possible. I just kind of stayed at the side. Everybody went to talk to Justin Pugh on like a every day, once, you know, every week on a certain day. He was like the guy to go to. And I was like, oh, man, he doesn't really want to talk to me. I shouldn't really go over there. And if I did, I had to like hang in the background. Like, you know, I felt I felt the guilt on my part. And this is part of the job and juggling relationships. You're always like this. There's probably always, I mean, we're not in a locker room nowadays, but like usually on a normal year, you, there's always a guy or two that just doesn't want to talk to you or doesn't like you. And that relationship goes up and down. There are times when they hate you. the times when they like you. There's times when, you know, they're probably in between. They avoid you like the plague. Who knows? That's what it's like being a reporter in general. Not just not the NFL. Not just for ESPN. Now ESPN uh, does have that reach, a bigger reach. The name. So, you know, they get embarrassed. And it's at ESPN, you know, you're going to pay the price. Now everybody saw it didn't like slide under the radar and I didn't get to change it real quick. So just reminded me of that. Justin, the ju- good old Justin Pugh story. As for this week's game, it's the prediction time. I told you giants are going to keep it close, but that doesn't mean I'm just going to pick them Sunday night. They keep it close. They might have a backup quarterback in. I'll probably lean in that direction that they're going to have a backup quarterback in. So it's hard for me to really sit here and say, you know what? I think they're going to win. Now I think they'll have a chance to win. They'll even cover what I say, four and a half? But I see Browns 22, Giants 20. A tough one, but still. Only one game out of first, two games left in the season. Baltimore, which is a really tough game, I think, getting healthier. And then the finale against Dallas, which could conceivably mean something for both teams. Either way, exciting ending to the season coming up. Uh, the Giants, though, just get worn down a little bit by that Browns rushing attack late in the game the Browns be able to run the ball and move it when they need it make enough plays in the passing game and I don't think the Giants can make enough plays in the passing game whether it's Jones or McCoy in there so Cleveland 22 Giants 20 and that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue as always tell your friends tell your friends friends let your friends be you know our friends come on give us a good rating feedback always welcome you can reach out to me email Facebook Instagram Twitter I'll try and get back to you I try I mean, there's a line you shouldn't cross. I mean, if you ask me certain things, I'm probably not going to reply. Got to got to keep it somewhat in line. But I'm not scared. I'm not shy. You can be honest with me. But that's it in this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, I'm Jordan Ronan. Yeah, that never changes. See you next time.